this part would be. This is gonna I, be I really, I really wanted you to say this is where the story starts, and I'm disappointed that you didn't. <laughs> Hello and welcome <laughs> to this week's episode of Where the Story Stops. I am your host, Colin Mersh, joined as always by Ryan McKibben. I'm always here. And introducing a special guest for this episode, our good friend Connor McGuire. Hi, Connor. Hey, guys. Hi, Connor. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Um, I'm really happy that I, I forced the two of you to watch one of my favorite movies. And uh, now I get to talk about it for literally millions of adoring fans. That's you exciting. See, he he always asks me how I'm doing at the start of these. And now that there's so there now that there's a new blood, he doesn't do that anymore. So that's well, you know. Connor, let's just keep rolling. Why don't you um tell tell us a little bit about your preferences as a moviegoer in general? Um, you know, where you kind of find your home uh when it comes to film. And then we'll get into what movie we're actually here to talk about today. Absolutely. So to sort of describe myself as, as a moviegoer, um, as a film watcher, or however you want to describe what we do, um, I tend towards what can cynically be described as Oscar bait. You know, I, I try my best to watch all of like, you know, the best picture nominees every year, you know, the really complicated big idea movies that people who are really full of themselves love to talk about. Um, but in general, I'm trying to sort of grow beyond that. Um, you know, I started with movies by watching lots of YouTube channels that make video essays about them, you know, the nerd writers of the world, etc. cetera. Um, and so now that sort of inspired me to try and branch out and watch a lot of movies that most people had never heard of, because I really do enjoy telling people about movies they've never heard of and never seen before. This movie on this podcast is not an example of one of those, but I'm sure I'm going to convince the two of you to watch some really esoteric things that no one has ever heard of. Well, I'm very excited for when that day comes. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for the episode that we make about it. It's going to be a ratings boon. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie in particular is one that you seemed very enthusiastic about. Um, it's one that I had seen before years ago when it first came out. Um, but why don't you start us off? What movie did you request that we talk about on your special guest episode? I requested that we watch Whiplash, uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. I believe it came out in 2014. Um, this is mm -hmm. why we do research. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, that is correct. And I mentioned previous <laughs> that um, I mentioned that I try to watch all of the Best Picture nominees. Um, and to the extent that a movie can be the runner-up for Best Picture when they don't release the voting, this movie was the runner-up to Birdman that year. Everyone knew Birdman was going to win, but Whiplash was such a strong second in a two-horse race. Um, and that turned out to be Damien Chazelle's brand because the same thing happened to him with La La Land when they literally told him he won the award and then gave it to Moonlight. So <laughs> we're watching um, my favorite movie from my favorite second best filmmaker of any given <laughs> Very good. Very good. What an introduction. We are here to talk about Whiplash. I hadn't seen it in years. Uh -huh. yeah. um, so rewatching it recently, for me, I, I had a greater appreciation of a lot of the themes going on. I didn't initially like it very much because I was in high school and um, the 
brattiness of the main character is something that I didn't enjoy at that point in my life. I still don't enjoy it, but I appreciate the storytelling <laughs> aspect of it. It's uh, it reminds me kind of of Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield, right? The this character, uh, his name's Andrew, correct? Am yep, I wrong? Andrew, that, I Andrew that's it. You got it. Miles Teller. Yes, Miles Teller. Um, he is uh, self-proclaimed one of the greats. He is going to be one of the greatest musicians, jazz musicians, specifically drummer um, of all time. And he's seven, he's 19 years old. He's 19 years old. Um, a freshman at the Schaefer Academy, which is established as the best, according to Andrew, the best music school in the world. Suck it, Juilliard. Um, <laughs> and yeah um that that's kind of the setting of it um but we quickly are introduced to the second main character in this film i won't i won't really call him a supporting character jk simmons um plays dr fletcher right dr fletcher is the head of the main band on campus if you guys remember the details feel free to throw them in but Mm -hmm. um he is the guy who makes musicians great at Schaefer. He is the guy that you, he's the band you want to be in if you want to get at a job at the Lincoln Center when you're done, if you want to make an actual career of being a professional um, musician in a more classical or jazz sense as opposed to, you know, a radio musician if you want to be a musician that goes to school to become a musician um this is the guy you want to be with Mm -hmm. so that's our setting Mm -hmm. ryan why don't you run us through the everything bad that (laughs) happens in this (laughs) so uh, the rest of the movie yes Uh, yeah i've set up (laughs) you've set up perfectly uh the setting to describe Miles Teller's very bad, no good movie. Um, that, in terms of what happens to him, not in terms yeah, not, of not the, not the actual movie, not the actual film itself. Um, yeah, I mean, because like I'm saying, the film actually opens with Andrew meeting Schaefer, and pretty quickly, you know, or not Schaefer, uh, Fletcher, and Fletcher expresses interest in Andrew, and from like pretty quickly after that. Andrew is um, Andrew's invited to be like the secondary drummer for Fletcher's ensemble. Um, the like that one of the first scenes where he's in there, like it's pretty quickly established that like Fletcher is strict, to put it lightly. Um, Abusive, abusive, authoritarian, authoritarian, homophobic, homophobic, all of that, um, and it's it's that pretty quickly becomes apparent when like uh, Andrew's playing, uh, he's rehearsing Whiplash and Andrew's playing the drums, and when Andrew like struggles to keep his tempo, you know, not my tempo, uh, Fletcher throws a chair at him. Um, and from there, like things continue to just grow more and more abusive. Uh, Fletcher turns up the pressure on Andrew and Andrew starts to, the effects of this pressure and abuse start to make themselves clear on Andrew. And it 
eventually just like ramps up. Andrew is made um, like put on the core spot for the, being the drummer. Um, but uh, there's a particular event where like on the way, like to their next competition, Andrew's riding the bus there, the bus breaks down. So Andrew like rents a car, gets there, arrives late. Fletcher flips out at him. Um, he left his drumsticks in the office. So on the threat of getting replaced for this competition, Andrew drives back to the rental office and on his way back to the competition, he is hit by a bus, I think, or a car. I mean, am I, but yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so, and like, you know, he's, he's bleeding from his temple, but he still stumbles back to the competition, sits down and, you know, messes up, uh, while they're playing. Um, that you can't play, um, orchestra <laughs> level drums while definitely concussed. Yeah. 100%. Say, suffering from whiplash. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's the name of the piece. That's all the title means. Um, <laughs> But um, eventually, uh, Andrew's father um, sets up a meeting between him and a lawyer where, like, you know, Andrew learns that one of Fletcher's former students committed suicide um, because of Fletcher's abuse, um, because of the anxiety and depression that was kind of spurred on by that abuse. Um, and Andrew agrees to testify against Fletcher, uh, Fletcher's fired and eventually, um, kind of the conclusion of the movie, uh, so that we can actually get to discussion of the movie, um, is Andrew finds Fletcher playing at a jazz club and Fletcher spots him. They talk a little bit. Uh, Fletcher talks about his, um, getting fired from Schaefer um and kind of goes he like for the first time in the movie kind of explains to andrew his core philosophy which we'll discuss a little bit later but i'll just give like an overview where fletcher believes his actions were just and his abuse was justified because he wanted to push his students to beyond their comfort zone so that they could be the absolute best that they could be so that he could like create the next great musician um and find the next great musician um, and after this conversation, uh, Fletcher invites Andrew to uh, um, play at a jazz festival um, to perform with Fletcher's band. Um, and Andrew accepts. Uh, he gets there. And uh, like as uh, Fletcher says that like they're playing stuff that Andrew's going to know, so he needs Andrew to do that. And just before they start, Fletcher's like, I knew that you testified against me. And it's revealed that like the pieces that are going to be playing at the jazz festival are actually not any pieces that Andrew was familiar with in the first place. Um, so Andrew and he doesn't have any sheet music for them as well. And he, yeah. And he doesn't have any sheet music. He is set um, up completely to fail. Exactly. Um, as kind of revenge for Andrew testifying against him. Um, so Andrew, you know, walk after that piece is done and he's like, you know, obviously not played that well because he didn't have the sheet music for it and didn't know the piece walks off his dad embraces him, but then he like turns around, comes back and starts playing a piece that he does know caravan. Um, and event like he pretty much forces Fletcher to conduct, 
uh, caravan along with the rest of the band. Um, and Andrew continues playing with like this really long drum solo. Um, Fletcher is like nodding in approval while this happens. And then he like, you know, cues the cues the band finale and that's the end of the movie cut the credits um there was some stuff that i missed there like his whole relationship with his girlfriend um which which we'll talk about like that, does, that does, i don't want to like be flippant about it that does have yeah. its place in the movie but um i'm sure that like in our discussion we'll go over like the the details that yeah I missed that yeah um, i think i think that was that was a fantastic rundown and i also think that um uh, our audience does not need uh, to watch this movie anymore because they've they've gotten every single uh, detail down. That's it. They should watch this movie <laughs> because it's so good. Um, oh yeah. And I, I sort of I just want to jump in here and say um, I think we should start with the reason why this movie was at the top of my list of ones I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. Um, and that is, you know what is something from I got from this movie, which I've never really gotten from any other movie. And that is Andrew's drum solo playing Caravan on the stage at the end. I think it's really hard to undersell what felt like, it probably wasn't this long, but it felt like 20 straight minutes of uninterrupted drum playing that starts out, you know, confused and then becomes really, really put together. He slows it down. They finish the scripted piece. And then Andrew just continues on with this completely improvised drum solo. It's the greatest solo anyone has ever seen. You know, it harkens back to the the recurring motif of Charlie Parker being Bird playing the best goddamn drum solo anyone's ever seen. Um, And I don't know that I've ever felt the way that I felt the first time I watched that scene, that musical just Um, explosion to end a movie with all but one line of dialogue that Fletcher whispers during the show it's just uninterrupted music so I think the first thing I want to ask is were you guys as blown away as I was by this part of the movie yeah the um word that came to mind was triumphant um I don't think I I'm not sure if I've ever seen a scene in another film that is as triumphant as that scene um yeah and it does and like you said it does it with basically no dialogue Mm. um very impressive yeah i mean like what a what a way to end the movie like that is um it's unique i mean it's the the thing is like the entire movie has pretty much been leading up to this moment so i think the most masterful thing about this ending is that it doesn't need any dialogue to get across what it's trying to say like you from all the different pieces of the movie that have been leading up to this, like the, um, you know, the performance of like the performances of Caravan earlier in the movie, the relationship between Andrew and Schaefer, they're kind of, or I keep Fletcher. saying Schaefer, that's the name of the school, Fletcher. Um, like their kind of body language, the cinematography that's been used throughout the movie, like when Andrew is playing the drums, like the close up on his hands, on the cymbals, um, like, it the movie has it's the movie has spent its entire length like building up this visual language using dialogue not not just visual uh, visual and auditory language without or like and just to lead to this moment Mm -hmm. where it can just leave words behind and just express like a effective and like on said triumphant 
climax without saying a word. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what we're seeing is, is Andrew Neiman just at his peak. Um, and I think that's, that's what's so cool about this scene. And you can see Fletcher beginning angry. He threatens to gouge out Andrew's eyes at one point during the song. And that is, I believe the last line of dialogue in the entire film. Um, and, <laughs> but then we, it's followed by 10 minutes of Fletcher angry and then walking away and brooding and then he comes back in and he's getting into it and he's getting excited and then Andrew's symbol starts to fall over and Fletcher picks it up and sets it back for him because he knows this is this is more important than his ego you can see this whole arc that Fletcher goes on that ends with them sort of in the same place so I'm 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 really glad to hear um, that both of you <laughs> love this scene um, I think it's it's the defining moment of the film but I yeah. do want to sort of zoom back and go over a couple of other moments in the film and see how you felt about those. Yeah. Um, and the, the two scenes in particular I wanted to talk about are the scenes where I think the two main characters of Andrew Neiman and Terrence Fletcher tell us what they want. Uh, the first one um, is when Andrew tells us what he wants when he's visiting his cousins and his dad and his uncle having dinner. And around the table, they're talking about what does success look like? And the rest of his family is praising his quarterback cousin who threw a 97 yard touchdown in a D3 football game. Um, and they're also, they're complimenting his other cousin who's on model United Nations or something like that. Um, and Andrew is saying, I am the best drummer at the best band at the best school in the world. And none of them care. And what Andrew essentially comes to after they talk about Charlie Parker is I would rather be dead at 33 and remembered as one of the all-time greats than lived to be 90 and forgotten. Um, that's, that's when Andrew tells us exactly what he wants in the film. Mm -hmm. And then Fletcher, Ryan, you already talked about this. He tells us what he wants at the bar, at the, uh, the jazz bar, when he tells him, you know, what I wanted was an all-time great musician who is so great that they are never going to wilt underneath the pressure that I'm getting them, give, putting upon them. And uh, if he he's ultimately says he never found that musician. So I think these two character motivations are told in those two scenes and they fit together almost like puzzle pieces where Andrew wants to be the all-time great and Fletcher wants nothing more than to create the all-time great. And I'm wondering, I guess, number one, if you agree with my assessment of what these characters want. And then number two, if you think, not that the characters are correct, but that you know their actions are justified if these are the goals that they're working towards. I think those are some pretty big questions, but you can you can take any small part of that you want. I guess I'll start with that first scene where Andrew like kind of talks about his motivations and something that because like Colin, it's been a while since I've seen the Flash, um, and something that kind of struck me on this watch through. And I'll I, I don't worry, I'm going to circle back around to the point of Andrew stating his motivation here. Um, is that we don't really get a an idea of like very much of an idea of Andrew pre Fletcher. The first scene of the movie is Andrew playing the drums and Fletcher walks in on him, um, and like it starts with the establishing of that relationship. Um, and I mean, it's it starts with you know he's he's playing the drums for a bit, um, and then you know even or yeah, uh, Fletcher walks in. And it's like, ah, what are you doing here? And he's like, sorry, I don't know, I don't know. And then you know, keeps going from there. And 
we get glimpses into his life outside of that, like when he's going to the movies with his dad, um, you know, when he uh, asks Mino- uh, Melissa um, Benoist's character, uh, Nicole, that's it, yeah, um, on a date. But like, and and this is to say that like Andrew's statement of what he wants we don't necessarily like have a lot to weigh against like how much of this is Andrew and how much of this results from the pressure that uh, Fletcher puts on. And obviously like we do, we do have some because like Andrew very clearly like loves playing the drums. He loves the greats. Like we see this in his room um like with uh you know the, the pictures that he got up and stuff like that and like just generally how he talks about music and the knowledge that he displays um but i it's uh, that's particularly interesting to me in the context of like what andrew wants because it's it makes it tough to like at least for me watching this movie it made it tough to like really get a gauge on Andrew as a character and like in a good way for what it's worth in a good way. Um, And like how much, how much of what we see of Andrew's actions towards other people is a result of this abuse and pressure that Fletcher is putting on him. Because like, I I mean, something that. Lied fairly clearly that it's not because of Fletcher. He used this way to people outside of, Fletcher like he they established pretty well he has no social relationships he has no friends or anything and we get the sense that it's pretty much because he's a jerk to everybody I like I don't think that's Fletcher's influence I think it's part of the reason why Fletcher's method works with him but I think they I think like Connor said they are kind of puzzle pieces Mm. but you can't I don't think you can appropriately blame Fletcher for andrew being who he is i would agree um (laughs) that i mean that that's ultimately like where i landed too and i was thinking that like on on like to some degree like i think that there is like there are cycles of abuse that are happening here where like the way that um the way that fletcher acts towards it like members of the way that Fletcher acts towards members of the band affect how members of the band act towards other people because the other drummer um mm-hmm. like what's his name like he th- there's scenes where like uh, wh- when he loses the when he loses the sheet music when Andrew loses that guy's sheet music like you fucking uh idiot or like something like that he flips out at him which like on the one hand fair on the other hand it's also to some degree like the like he knows what the consequences are because Fletcher has laid them out very clearly. Like yeah. he, like if you fuck up once you're done. Um, and I think to some degree that's true with Andrew, but I think that you're like on a greater degree, you're right. That like Andrew is kind of just a dick. Um, like yeah. this is kind that this, like he, this is how he treats people and ultimately, I think that's why, like, yeah, they, they're kind of the times when they state their philosophies are kind of like puzzle pieces where they fit together pretty well in this kind of twisted way. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think Connor, your analysis of their motivations and them, it, I think that's very spot on. Like, I, I think that's what the movie's trying to convey. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's very much subtext when it comes to that. You, it might lead you to ask certain questions, like who was Fletcher before he decided to become an educator? Was he Andrew once upon a time? Um, Mm-hmm. or or what but at least at the present time this is who these people are this is what they want to be mm-hmm. they they both are searching for the same thing mm-hmm. um for somebody to be great and, and andrew's focused on him being himself fletcher's looking for it to be one of his students and mm-hmm. it very well may be andrew right okay so i'm i'm, I'm very glad we've sort of establish the the baseline of like what these characters think and what they want because at the end of the movie they both more or less get what they want and Fletcher gets his great player you know we're we're left to assume a lot about what the rest of Andrew's life looks like um and I think it's probably not a very happy life it's probably not a very long life but he told us that's what he wanted. He wanted to be dead at 33 and remembered. So, you know, at the end of the day, I have to, I have to sort of ask if that's such a bad thing that Andrew ends up on a path that, you know, doesn't look great, but he gets what he wants. And I also want to zoom that out. And the actual question I want to ask is, is Fletcher's philosophy justified? Does he, does his idea that if we don't push people, there will never be great musicians. Does that, does that ring true to you? Or does that seem like the justifications of, of a really abusive person? Because every time I've watched this movie, I've honestly come away with a different interpretation of how I feel about Fletcher's actions and his motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, and for full transparency coming out of this one, I my, my, my most recent watching, the one before this one, I actually came out very pro-Fletcher. I will be honest with you, very pro-Fletcher. I felt that at the end of the day, they they value mastering a certain field and he went about it in a terrible way that got results. This time I've cooled off on him a little bit, but I do see, I see the value in what he's suggesting. I, I think he's in many ways correct that like true greatness takes pushing yourself beyond your self-imposed limits because self-imposed limits are never going to get you to do being the greatest anything of all time. So I'm, I'm curious where you, you landed. Cause I think this is just one of the open-ended questions that the movie can't offer a correct answer to. And I'm wondering where you are on Fletcher and his philosophy. So this is a tough one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that comes to mind for me is the Olympics. Um, there are, I don't know, a thousand stories of abusive coaches and their incredible Olympians that they have produced. Um, most recently in the news, the, uh, you know, U.S. women's uh, gymnastics coach uh, is going to prison for life, uh, thankfully, for his awful oh. abuse of... I mean, I, I would say countless, but it's very enumerated and we know exactly how many came forward and accused him. And he was found guilty of charges of over a hundred, uh, gymnasts. Um, and he produced, I mean, it's weird to give him credit because 
he's not the only person that did anything, but he was influential in the success of at least three gold medalists. That's the most recent one in the news. That's also been true of at least six other stories that I can remember from the Olympics dating back at least three decades. Mm-hmm. So I can't really, I can't really get behind that analogy personally, because uh, it's, it's sort of like there's a, there's the, a difference between, you know, Fletcher's actions sort of being well, about the product of like the, well, the, the art that they're mastering, like what, what Larry Nasser did had nothing to do with making that, that that's true in his specific case. The only reason why I brought him up is because he's the most recent one. Um, but if you go back to the, 90s russian gymnastic team which won gold that was more similar to fletcher's case where it was being physically abusive in the same in much the same way that fletcher is it's Mm -hmm. being abusive in the way that she wanted her athletes to be the best and she was going to force them to do things beyond their limits and all this sort of awful stuff that led to lifelong issues that those athletes dealt with um and still deal with um so what i would where i would land with this is that it's a method that can work and it's a method that for fletcher may have worked in this case it's also a method whose casualties are enormous and that doesn't matter to fletcher and from fletcher's point of view maybe it shouldn't because what he's stated is important to him is not that it might be what's important to the world at large but it's not sort of it's not what is important to fletcher and it's not what's important to andrew it may have been what's important to sean casey the uh student who killed himself earlier in the film that ryan mentioned um you know, but if that's something Fletcher is okay with, then from a pure character point of view, he was justified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I I think it was mentioned that Sean Casey was a student six years before the events of the movie, and presumably that means that Fletcher has been teaching at Schaefer for at least those six years. Yes. Yeah. And during that time, he never found that great musician that he was looking for, but he put like all of those musicians that weren't those musicians that he was looking for through that kind of abuse and treatment um, that that was displayed in the movie. And none, none of them became great musicians, but like Cullen said, like his his behavior left like, a trail of wreckage and effects and trauma. And I think that like, to some degree, like, yeah, of course, in order to achieve greatness, you need to push yourself like beyond your limits. Is, was Fletcher's way the right way to do that? Um, From the outside looking in, I would say no, because like not only were there the people that like Fletcher directly hurt? I mean, it spirals out through again. Yeah. Andrew was always a dick, Um, Mm. but his relationships are affected over the course of the movie by Andrew's pursuit of it. And like, again, I'm, I'm not absolving Andrew of any culpability here, 
the people in Andrew's life are affected by his pursuit of of being that great musician under Fletcher. Um, and like again, Andrew Andrew's pursuit of this lofty goal of being the greatest, being the best, like goes beyond Fletcher. But I guess the the point I'm trying to make is Fletcher wanted to in Fletcher's mind he's justified because like if he makes this great musician then like all of this will have been worth it but like that's that's an if right like mm-hmm. Fletcher doesn't know that this this great will be under him that's something that he needs that like he he needs that great musician and without knowing that that great musician will ever arrive at Schaefer. He just leaves a lot of broken people behind. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily justifiable. Yeah. You could, you could definitely tell a story where Fletcher is only hard on the people he thinks has the potential to be all time grades instead of just. Well, arguably that's what he's doing since he's at the greatest, you know, music school in the nation and he's hand selecting the people in his band theoretically that's what he's already doing theoretically in, anecdotally it just seems yeah. like a lot of characters in in the band where like the the kid he kicks out of band for not knowing whether or not he was out of tune and he's like actually it was the other guy but i kicked him out because he didn't know like mm-hmm. just completely arbitrary acts of cruelty that he just throws around almost willy-nilly um, he says later he brought in Connolly, the redheaded drummer, to compete just to be competition for Neiman to make him better. You know, he didn't put that guy in studio band because he thought he could be an all-time great. He he brought him in to make Neiman better, which sort of implies that Fair Fletcher enough. is in a position to pick and choose who he's developing into an all-time great and that everyone isn't on this equal footing. You could tell that story, but that wouldn't be as good of a movie. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, it, would, it would be a lot more muddled of an ideology, I think. But <laughs> in general, I think, I think Fletcher is a really challenging character. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to sort of take on that challenge and, and see where you, you both landed with that because I think it's... It's someone that I, like I said, I've come down both both ways on on his character mm-hmm. after viewing the movie, and I think any answer on him is justified because it's 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 really tough and it's really complicated. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the toughest part about it for me is if this was a real life story like the Olympic coaches, then I think it's pretty easy to just say no. You like it's easy to look at the real world consequences and say you unequivocally did awful things and Mm. you should be remembered as such, like as an awful, you know, person in these people's lives. Um, But when you're talking about a movie Mm. with entirely fictional people dealing with ideas um, that are written in a way as to be compelling and successful, um, it becomes more muddled. So when we're talking about Fletcher, it's very interesting. When we're talking about insert his real human from history here, it's a lot clearer in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think that's part of the genius of Whiplash in general is that we look at this through, like, we look at a situation like this through the veil of fiction, um, where like none of this stuff 
actually happened and we get like a lot close like we kind of get a magnifying glass look into these people's lives in a way that like if this were a real life scenario we would like you know read it uh in an article on like cnn or something uh and then you know that's that's all we have um so yeah i mean like i'd agree that i think these philosophies fletcher's philosophy andrew's philosophy kind of become a lot more nuanced because we like see how these people operate in their lives as opposed to having that like distance that would likely happen if we were to look at this in real life Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think i think the real life parallels are really important to keep in mind because what what this movie is i think at a very basic level is taking the real world you know, phenomenon of people trying to push themselves beyond their limits to reach greatness, and then taking that to its absolutely most absurd extreme, and mm-hmm. asking you to say, where is the line? You know, you could do 10% of this, you could do 80% of this, but where is the line? Because we are getting right up to the point where it's no longer okay. And you sort of have to ask yourself, would I go this far? Would I not? Would I go half as far as this? And if I really felt that I wanted to achieve, you know, something I consider greatness and you know, if greatness is fulfillment in your life, maybe you are willing to go that far. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think this is a really good spot for us to take a uh, break. We will come back soon and discuss other things from this Welcome back. Uh, welcome back from the break. We're getting ready to dive into some of our other discussion points concerning Whiplash. Uh, Connor had one one aspect of the movie in particular that he wanted to start off with. Uh, Connor, take, a, take it away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when we started this podcast, I did say that I I became a movie fan by watching these sort of video essays on YouTube where one person just sort of talks at you for a couple minutes about <laughs> a movie, lists a bunch of things they noticed and just slaps a bow on it and gets a bunch of views. So this is <laughs> this is sort of the this is sort of the rant that I have prepared that I would turn into a video if I knew how to edit videos. Yeah, for what it's worth, like, we're different. This is three people talking at you about things that we noticed in the movie. Exactly. Well, I mean, it, you guys can tell me that I'm wrong if you want, if I were <laughs> wrong, which wouldn't happen. That's so true. what I would say, though, is that one of the reasons I really liked Whiplash, besides the climactic final scene, is the arc of Andrew's self-worth over the course of the movie. Because I think it's a movie where we find him sort of in a very particular place. He's very introverted and very sort of closed off to the world. Um, You know, the comment is made by his girlfriend, Nicole, that when she used to see him around the movie theater, his eyes were always glued to the floor. Uh, The first thing we see him doing is just going to the movies with his dad on, on a weekday evening, which is a very wholesome relationship, but it's also not where someone really wants to be when they're 19 and a freshman in college. You know, they're, they're sort of just this more exciting version of life that everyone imagines. Um, and the, the, really, the really painful metaphor is when he pours the milk duds into the popcorn. His dad pours milk duds into the popcorn. They were raisinettes. 
I wish there were milk duds <laughs> because Raisinets is gross. And I love milk duds and popcorn. That's my hot take for the podcast. If you've never tried milk duds in popcorn, you're missing out. It's it honestly pretty good. So good. Anyways, this is this is is a movie podcast. I'm allowed to talk about how I eat popcorn. Um, so, and he says I eat around the raisinets because he's sort of trying to avoid becoming like his dad. So he's eating around the things that his dad likes. It's 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 a little on the nose, but we start with Andrew at this point, and as his status within studio band rises. Almost one-to-one, we see his self-confidence rise. When Andrew is asked by Terrence Fletcher to come to Studio Band at at 6 a.m. the next morning, the very next scene we see is Andrew going to the movie theater to ask out Nicole. Later on in the movie, Andrew becomes the chair, uh, the, the first chair on the band. And then we see him with his family and he finally confronts them. And when, when they're dismissive of his music and he stands up for himself and we see sort of this self-confidence and it comes off as arrogance, but it's, it's a lot of confidence and a lot of ability to sort of project himself. And so as his status rises, we start to see a more confident and in theory, better version of Andrew, one that's not a pushover and not staring at the floor. He's sort of living life and he gets fulfillment from this band. And then when he loses studio band and gets expelled from the Schaefer Conservatory, the first thing we see after that is we see him standing behind a counter at a deli taking orders the exact same way that Nicole was standing behind a counter taking orders at the movie theater. And he had already explicitly said he did not want to end up like her. He didn't understand how she could not have a career in mind and not have a path or something she was striving for greatness in. And so when he loses the band, you also see him losing that part of himself. He goes back to thinking about texting her and he does it and his sort of self-confidence gets taken away. So there's this up and downness where his his status in the band very clearly tracks with his self-worth as a person. And this sort of ties into why I think Andrew makes the right decision by sort of subscribing to Fletcher's school of, of artistic extremism. Um, and it's because Andrew likes himself more and Andrew is a better version of himself when he is being put under this pressure. Now, I know we said in the first half that Andrew is kind of an asshole and he's a dick to everybody, but I think the version of Andrew we see that he likes the least is the version that stares at the floor and the version that doesn't have a spine and is a pushover. And I really do think that it, it shows that outside of the value of making great art, it makes him a greater artist and a greater sort of person. I think that's that's a very strong take on it, but I, I, I would like to know if you agree, first of all, and I would like to know if you think it's worth it. So I interpreted this through a different lens initially. I don't think what you said is wrong. I just, I approached it from a different lens. Everything starting from the popcorn scene that you talked about. I viewed, instead of a, an issue of confidence, I viewed it through the lens of confrontation. He doesn't, he eats around the raisinets instead of asking, instead of not pouring them into the popcorn because he wants to be non-confrontational with his father. And while it, you could easily just, you could easily describe those upticks that you describe as confidence, I viewed them more as he's getting more confrontational, just like, just like, uh, 
what's his name? I've suddenly blanked on J.K. Simmons. Ter- name. Terrence Fletcher. Yes, just like Terrence Fletcher, <laughs> he's getting more and more confrontational. Um, and that's tied to his confidence, clearly. Um, but that's just the lens I viewed that through. So I think that's kind of an interesting perspective difference. And that might be why I lean more into the thought of he's becoming more of an asshole as opposed to he's becoming the best version of himself um you know the, in at least in his own mind um even if that's true i just viewed it through that different lens and mm-hmm. i find that interesting i yeah i mean um i kind of fall somewhere in the middle um where i i think that like okay mama bear all right well you know that's, <laughs> that's understandable um i'll take that uh no i mean ultimately like I think that Connor, your way of viewing Andrew's arc through the movie is really interesting because like I <laughs> and this this sounds kind of lazy, but i'll I'll explain a little bit. I mean, he grows more confident in himself by getting more confrontational with the people around him. Um, like he he doesn't like he definitely doesn't become a like quote unquote better person by the end of the movie. I mean, like, he 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 is like kind of dick but i think that like the reason that like he is like a dick to use our words i mean like i don't think any of the people in his life before he like really got that fulfillment out of conservatory uh, uh out of the band like i don't think any of these those people were ever really compatible with who andrew wanted to be um and like i don't like that doesn't necessarily like excuse how Andrew treats them, but like Andrew's most realized version of himself just doesn't include these other people in his life. Like, like at the beginning of the movie, when they're in the movie theater, um, like ki- kind of offhandedly, uh, his dad's just like, I, I just don't understand you. Um, and like, that's, that's kind of it is the thing. Like there's this, this clear lack of understanding between Andrew and his father, Andrew and Nicole, like they're on very different pages, even like, like we're led to believe even before the events of the movie, like Andrew and his father are on different pages. Um, and like, I, I think that Andrew gaining that confidence from, from the band, just like, solidifies that wedge and like gives andrew the clarity to as horrible as it sounds and like kind of as horrible as it is it gives andrew the clarity to not care about those people in his life in the way that he kind of tried to before um and like he is no longer beholden to them or tied to them as seen at the end of the movie where like his father offers him love after he failed he's like come here, give me a hug, let's go home. And Andrew just, like, he gives him a hug, you know, points to dad, but, like, uh, ultimately rejects that offer and goes back out to play with the band. Like, his, who he wants to be is just fundamentally incompatible with, like, being the a other people person with everyone but yeah, Fletcher. yeah everyone but Fletcher exactly like I think yeah I think if I wanted to rephrase what I said when I say he becomes a better person I think what I mean by that is he becomes more of himself he yeah, goes yeah. from becoming 
the the word that I thought of multiple times while watching the movie is infantilization. When he's going to the movies with his dad and his dad's putting the raisinets in the popcorn, it's sort of infantilizing. He doesn't have that sort of choice. I thought of that again after he gets expelled when he is being moved into his new apartment as his dad's like, I stocked the pantry with gushers for you, son. And I'm like, well, yeah. That that sounds rad. (laughs) That's rad dad stuff, but it's also a little infantilizing. If I were at, you know, 20 years old and my dad were still buying me just big boxes of gushers, like that is not the same version of peak Andrew when he's at the conservatory yelling at Fletcher you're not going to give away my fucking part you know that's these are two very different versions of Andrew you know mm-hmm. one is peak Andrew and one is just sort of this aimless version yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I, I, I guess the, I guess the point is like Andrew's most realized version of himself is kind of addicted to the people around him and a bad person I mean that is like yep. the that's well, the mo- I mean, the movie's not about somebody you want to know. Right. It's about somebody who you want to see perform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that really gets to the heart of it is this, both of these characters don't care about being people. They care about being great. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, yeah. he's, he's becoming Charlie Parker. He's becoming the That's, guy who had oh, a symbol thrown in his head. He literally gets a chair thrown in his head in his first practice. Yeah. And I was going to get to that in our next section, but okay, <laughs> okay. we'll hold, we'll pin that, put a pin in that. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, uh, I guess like to I, a little bit late in the podcast, but like give some reference to like, to how I viewed this movie when I initially saw it, which kind of like framed how I saw it this time around. Like when I first saw this back in 2014, when it first came out, like I was, uh, I was a young and, you know, um and like i viewed it through the frame of like exclusively andrew is a victim here um and that like made the ending of the movie like very confusing and disconcerting though having watched this again um with you know uh the the wisdom of age uh i how how old are you right i'm not trying to get doxed here colin um but uh uh now, i mean now like i can kind of see that like you know the way andrew behaves is not like uh um not normal for a person like he he he, he is pretty bad to those people around him and like that was kind of realizing that was kind of vital to my understanding of the movie this time around where like the arc of andrew isn't someone who like is broken down over the course of this movie like and pushed into this mindset this is kind of where he starts the movie like in this mindset and it is more a matter of him like growing into like a version like the version of himself that he ultimately kind of wants for himself um which is kind of why i've brought up uh Andrew being a dick so much um, is because like that's kind of something that like I didn't recognize the importance and scale of when I first saw the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I I absolutely agree with that, and I think that that does lead really nicely into the next little bit of analysis that I want to mm-hmm. offer up for the two of you on on your illustrious podcast. We've talked a lot about 
Andrew and his pursuit of success and his idea that I'm going to be one of the greats. And one thing that really struck me watching the movie is that when a normal person generically thinks about artists, rock stars, people go up on stage and perform, comedians, they people would generally describe it as they go up there to perform for a crowd, to hear the crowd cheer for them and to impress people. And what struck me in Whiplash is that there's almost no audiences in the entire movie. For a movie about a professional jazz musician, we don't ever see the people that Andrew is playing for. At both of the competitions, the first one where he plays Whiplash and the second one where he plays Caravan, the judges are disembodied voices. We just hear a voice come over the loudspeaker, the Schaefer Conservatory Band. And we don't actually see the judges except for in the shadows. And even in the one scene where the plot required an audience, you can't actually see them. The lights are so bright on the stage for the finale of the show that the audience are just these black blurs on the other side of this wall of light. And we hear the applause. But what really struck me is that Andrew doesn't seem to care. He never once says, I need the crowds to cheer for me. He's internally motivated to be the best. He doesn't care if anyone else actually likes the music he's playing. He just assumes that if he is the greatest version of himself, you know, people will care and everything else will work out. And I, I thought... That was really interesting to me that this is something I just noticed for the first time. And Ryan, I wanted to specifically ask this to you as someone who is a musician with significant <laughs> experience and you've spent a good amount of your life playing in front of big crowds. How does that track to, to your experience? Do you think that this is a realistic portrayal of a musician or do you think this is sort of weird? <laughs> I mean, like that, that is, that is something where like, and uh, for, for a little bit of context for viewers at home, um, I, I did and still do, um, play piano for the last, like probably decade and a half of my life. Um, you know, I, uh, can push up my glasses here and say I was classically trained, um, and uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't engage with that part of my life as much as I like to anymore. But you know, I mean, that was a significant part of my life for a very long time. And yeah, uh, in a movie about somebody who wants to be remembered, um, it is very lacking of people who would remember him. Um, and I, from my own experience. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I would never say that I quite shared the same conviction as Andrew, um, but when, whenever I was playing piano in front of a lot of people, um, I, I was always like, I, it, it, it depended on the scenario because I definitely do remember times where I was like very, very much aware of like, the crowd like while I was going up onto stage um and like you know getting ready to play and looking out on the crowd but like once for the most part whenever when I start playing like that kind of disappears like you're just playing and it's yeah sure like you might still get like nervous like for a second you remember oh well there's like uh I like uh high school graduation there's like 400 people in the crowd watching me play 
Um, like there's occasions where like you remember that for a split second, but then you keep playing um, and it kind of fades out and it's just kind of you and the piano um, as kind of corny as that may sound like it kind of, you kind of do get lost in the music. Um, and I think that as far as like that portrayal goes in this movie, I mean, it's kind of accurate. Like at some point, the actual people sitting in the audience don't matter. Um, and in this movie specifically, I think that that like gave us focus on what Andrew's performance meant in his relationship with Fletcher, because like we see the interplay between them, like as he's playing, um, which, which I found really interesting. Um, you, um, you, you raised a kind of interesting point that I had never considered before, but um, do you think jazz was an intentional choice? Really? He wants to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you don't see much of an audience at any point. And I wonder if jazz maybe was chosen to kind of show how fruitless all of his efforts are. Even if he becomes one of the greats, it's a dying genre with mm-hmm. very little interest or Oof, man. memory Damn, going dude. forward. Coming um, after jazz. No, jazz I'm, I'm just... I, I, <laughs> look, jazz stands come at Ryan McKibben 97. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my point isn't to disparage jazz. My point is they even pointed out in the film... Fletcher says people wonder why jazz is dying mm-hmm. and Andrew wants to be remembered for being one of the greats in a field that is admittedly dying. Um, I do wonder if maybe that was an intentional choice. Um, I, it very well may not have been because he's undeniably great in his performance that we see at the end of the film, but will he be remembered? Will he be that 33 year old dead guy who's remembered or will he just be a 33 year old dead guy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, for one thing I can say, I think a big part of it, having seen La La Land is that Damien Giselle just really fucking loves jazz. Like <laughs> very, very the, fair. The second not time have been intentional came, for that reason. I I I, rem- I still remember to this day when the when the moonlight La La Land debacle happened, uh somebody I saw a meme that basically said it's Damien Giselle and he's a super mastermind. He's like, I'm going to make a third movie with so much fucking jazz in it. They're going to have to give me best picture. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think there's, there's something to be said for that. I also think there's something to be said that both of these movies that heavily feature jazz were nominated for best picture and many people saw them. And seven years later, we're still talking about it. So, you but know, I think there is a place for jazz in our society that isn't just listening to jazz. Hmm. Again, my point wasn't to disparage jazz. My, <laughs> my point was, is Come that on. possibly thematic in the film? Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Well, if, if you ask me to name, like, a contemporary jazz musician, I don't think that I could. And that's not to say, like... The, the DNA, like, the DNA of jazz is very much present in just about every, like, popular current genre of music. Like, jazz is by far one of the most, like, influential genres that yep. ever was. 
but as it existed back when like in the era of the greats that Fletcher and Andrew kind of talk about like it doesn't quite have that popularity or thrall I mean like you're going to like these they're like for the majority of the movie they're playing in like competitions like the two public like times that we see like people publicly playing jazz are like in that um little jazz bar at the, like at the jazz club um and then also at like the big the big festival kind of thing like the big jazz festival but i mean it's it, like the the festival even it's like this very like rigid structured thing where it's like we are this is a festival and we are going to be playing jazz the lighting will be dramatic and the audience like in this very formal looking stage mm-hmm. which i mean that that it, it's almost like they're putting on the performance mm-hmm. of this being important mm-hmm. um and like that's that's a really interesting point at the end of the day where it's like andrew is striving for this kind of importance but like, is is this actually something that exists for him to strive for? Yeah, yeah. To, just to diverge a little bit further from the actual question of <laughs> Andrew and his relationship to the audience. One thing that strikes me hearing you say that, that I'm just realizing is the, the point of jazz is supposed to be an improvisation and being able to go off in different directions and sort of this collaborative music making process. And then you watch this movie and Andrew Fletcher or Terrence Fletcher throws a chair at your head (laughs) if you're a half note off. And it's sort of like, are we doing jazz or are we redoing the great jazz songs that have already been made? You know, it's not until the very end of the movie during Andrew's solo where Caravan finishes that Andrew starts playing and we see what you could actually describe as possibly jazz because he is just playing and he tells the other players, I'll cue you in or you'll know when it's time. That's what I think of when I think of jazz. And I think the popular sort of understanding of it is not rigidly sticking to the sheet music. So I think what Terrence Fletcher would say to you is the greats can, imp- the greats can improvise. You can read sheet music. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's kind of the school of thought is that everybody thinks they can make great music by improvising and very few can. So yeah, don't and drag, I mean, don't rush <laughs> beyond my tempo. <laughs> you know? um, and yeah. I mean, like just kind of the close that train of thought out. Like, um, I mean, it's never like throughout the movie. I don't think it's ever really about the music. It's, it's about being great. Um, and it's never about like the playing of music for the sake of music. It is about the recognition. It is about like be not not necessarily even the recognition of people, as Connor pointed out, with the absence of the audience, but like the recognition in terms of like knowing that you are one of the greats. Not necessarily being like you know, I am a good musician, and not being like I like playing music. Being like I am the best like i have achieved that i have earned that it's mine yeah um Mm -hmm. well i think before we go into grades Mm -hmm. are there any specific gripes about the film that anybody wants to get into connor Mm -hmm. 
any from you. I know this is a great movie, but well, yes, I seeing as I did pick this movie for this podcast, um, it's going to be tough for me to to criticize it. But um, I there is there is one big one and one small one for me when it comes to when it comes to criticism for this movie. And I think we should start with the big one, um, which is that, and it's something that Ryan literally just said. Um, about 45 seconds ago, you said, quote, it's never about the music. Um, and one thing I've heard described with this movie is that it's not a music movie. It's a sports movie. It's a movie about, it's basically a movie about sports. It's a movie where you join the team and you are either a starter or you are a bench player. You're an alternate. You're going to be turning sheet music for someone else. You could replace drummer with quarterback and you could replace uh, you could replace Schaefer with Alabama and, you know, Roll Tide, you got a sports movie. That's, you know, that's sort of a, an overarching criticism that like the, I've heard from musicians that the music part of the movie is not crazy accurate. That's not something I really care about because I don't know <laughs> anything about music. Um, but it is, it is that it's Andrew, if I can just push myself physically a little bit harder, if I can get, I can bandage up the blood and I can just keep going and I can eventually be it. And, you know, trying to be a great musician the same way that we collectively think of being a great athlete. Um, so I am neither an athlete nor a musician. Um, but I, I do feel like there are a lot of similarities here because all we're talking about is being the best in a field. Um, but I do see the the criticism that it's basically a sports movie. And I'm wondering if you guys feel the same way. I I hadn't heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense and I can't disagree with it. Um, it's very much framed in the same way that a sports movie would be. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't say that that's like a... Um, I, I agree with you. Like it's, it's, it's not, it, it is more of like that kind of sports movie formula where it's like, you know, pushing yourself to be great. Then never is about the music, but like um, from my perspective, I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with that for me. Like, I, again, as someone who, uh, as someone who comes from a musical background, um, that kind of helped me like have some kind of distance and appreciation for the movie where it's like, this has never been, my experience with music so like i understand that like this isn't this isn't what music is and that like even to these characters it's not about the music and i'm i was kind of okay with that yeah yeah okay like i said i picked this movie so i'm i'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not what, gonna was your, uh, what was your secondary gripe my secondary one. gripe, and this one really is a gripe, is just sort of <laughs> the combined absurdity, which is Andrew and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, where the bus he's on gets a flat tire, which, first of all, I thought that's why those things had like 12 wheels on them, is so that that didn't matter. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then the taxis aren't there, so he runs to a nearby rental car agency, planes, trains, and automobile style. We are going from every conceivable <laughs> form of land transportation. And he leaves his sticks on the chair, and then he gets there. And then all of a sudden, Fletcher draws this red line we have never heard of before, which is, you're not going to play with someone else's sticks. <laughs> you're going to play with your own sticks. And he's like, that's first of all, ridiculous. They're drumsticks. <laughs> he, could, he could go across the hall and see if they have like a drumstick vending machine. I don't know what they do. Didn't that happen earlier in the movie too? Somebody borrowed his sticks? No, literally like when, um, I think it happens 
I, it might have happened earlier, but like a little bit later when the other like red haired guy is trying out, uh, like he literally, uh, Andrew literally passes his sticks to him to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I understand that the movie needed a climax. And then he gets, of course, gets hit by a semi truck. Let's not yeah. forget that. You know, all <laughs> of this happens over the course of fully 45 minutes. And I know that the movie needed to build tension over the course of this scene but like he's told to leave early like come on Andrew like you're you you literally only talk about wanting to be the greatest musician in the history of musicians and you couldn't leave two and a half hours early like well in fairness he uh he has shown consistently to not be good at showing up on time that's true in the film that that was not a new thing (laughs) that's Um, true so but that's that's a fair gripe you know that that is I can see why that would break your suspension of disbelief. They just really how condensed it is. Yeah, they lay it on thick there, yeah. um, especially where it's like <laughs> this. This very clearly like um, concussed young man who is able to walk. Oh yeah, uh, walk all the way, get there, find like actually. So like, dude, the dude just got like hit by a semi he is bleeding <laughs> he was temple. t-boned on the driver's side door <laughs> <laughs> and he's like okay i and i understand that like the point is man like he is so dedicated like unhealthily dedicated to this that nothing mm-hmm. will stop him from being able to go and play but there comes a point where my suspension of disbelief is stretched a little yeah. bit thin <laughs> where and his car fucking tumbles I, over i missed another part which is that the man who hit him is like hey buddy you okay <laughs> and andrew's like i gotta go it's just a couple more blocks and we just see him running <laughs> across a, gla- a grass field it's like someone stop him <laughs> so yeah um, like- it, i i think they could have subtracted anywhere from two to four speed bumps from this no good very bad day and i would have still believed that oh my god everything has gone wrong for andrew like seven speed bumps seemed excessive yeah um my only gripe and i think this is just a personal thing i don't actually think it's a flaw in the movie um i think with the throwing a symbol at your head thing uh they Oh yeah, they, we mentioned they, this. We mentioned this. Yeah, they um laid it on a little thick for me. They they came they came back to that story that Fletcher tells. Um it is directly referenced by the two characters at least four times that I can remember off the top of my head, maybe more. And then with the chair literally throwing being thrown at Andrew's head in his very first studio br- band practice, mm-hmm. I I just was left with a Guys, I get it. The first, the first time you told the story, and then he threw the chair. I got it. You don't need to keep bringing it mm-hmm. up. You know, I, if I remember correctly, it's also no more than like three minutes of screen time after Fletcher tells Andrew the symbol story. That yes, Fletcher, it is immediately after that. Yeah, it's it's not like some other characters like, hey, you hear the symbol story. It's like no, Fletcher says this. You almost have to question. I, I feel Andrew. like it could have been improved if they if the chair happened first and then later. Fletcher tried to have mm-hmm. a uh, that moment aside where he tells him this story, and then mm-hmm. it could be kind of a reflective moment for Andrew, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, maybe I understand that you are doing that for a reason or whatever." Mm-hmm. But it, it felt like it was kind of out of order in a way that mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't have to tell me exactly what you want me to remember 
every 10 minutes. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> I think I think you're right that it would it would have built the the story of 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 Terrence Fletcher's manipulation a little bit better. And you almost have to question Andrew a little bit where it's like, okay, so 30 30 minutes ago, this guy told you the story about throwing the symbol because it and it created a great artist. And then he throws a chair at your head. You're not like, oh, maybe that's a compliment in his culture. Like, you know, it almost comes <laughs> off like it almost comes off like Terrence Fletcher wants Andrew to yeah, realize that this is a compliment. It's sort of like when <laughs> when you're in kindergarten and you punch a girl because you like her, but it's studio band. Yeah. Think Andrew. Um, yeah, no, like uh that was <laughs> um, One? Yeah, that was sorry, that was just too well time. <laughs> yes, um, right. Okay, so yeah, I uh I would say that like yeah, they definitely bring that up way too often. And like my other tiny gripe, like and this and this is pretty tiny, and I don't think even I, I don't necessarily even think that fixing it would make the movie better. Um but like j- just like and I understand this is part of the point too, but Nicole's role is like so small in the movie. Like I, when I, I was watching it through Amazon and like, you know, they got the facts on the side there and like, uh, despite getting fourth billing, uh, she's in the movie for 10 minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is like, I understand that kind of the point is that Nicole ultimately like does not matter to him. I mean, ultimately but- it's a two man film. Right, yeah, yeah, it's about these two people. Um, but I feel like, to some degree, like we're supposed to like kind of look at him breaking up with Nicole and be like, "Wow, yeah, you know, this is like this is a like step on Andrew's journey to becoming great." Um, and ultimately, it didn't really feel like that because like I never really put any weight in. I mean, a- a- Andrew never put any weight into their relationship either, which again, mm-hmm. part of the point. There's um, there's one thing I want to point out when it comes to the weight of him breaking up with her is exactly how fast it happens over the course of the movie. Fletcher is at a at a practice. He takes away Andrew's first chair seat after telling them about his student who killed himself. This is in the afternoon. He hands out the charts for Caravan and says, everyone be back here at 9 p.m. And then we cut and we see him break up with his girlfriend because he lost the first chair seat and wants to focus on drumming more. And then the next scene is 9 p.m. at practice. So he literally left one practice, broke up with her, and came back to the exact same room to practice more. And it all takes place over the course of a day. And this is something I missed, unless you pay attention to the, the establishing shots of clocks throughout the scene. Yeah. Um, I did not notice that. I, I didn't realize that necessarily either, but I... I don't really think that's a, I don't think that's a minus. I think that's just oh, no. further establishing, mm-hmm. you know, everything that Andrew is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, one day and they were dating and then at noon he decided to break up with her and at 9 PM he was single and practicing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, no. I mean, like, I, I agree that like, again, part of the point that they're making with Andrew is like how little this relationship mattered to him. Um, but I guess like, maybe what might have made that like a little bit better for me is like maybe like kind of offhand references is like oh you know i'm gonna go like um 
I don't know, after this, I'm going to pizza with my girlfriend or something. Like, more fluid than that, obviously. Yeah. Um, But, like, not not necessarily even, like, showing their relationship, but, like, just showing him making offhand references to it. Just so, like, I... Just so I know it exists, I guess. Because, like, that's mm-hmm. kind of the thing, is that, to me, like, it got to this point where they are breaking up, and I was like, oh, this was a thing that, like, existed over mm-hmm. the timeline of this movie. Um, and it, it was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I can, I can think of exactly one moment in the entire movie that's made to just reinforce that their relationship is real and exists. And it's when he's taking the bus home to have an argument with his family and she texts him, can I call you when I get home? Right. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That that's is, it. <laughs> those were the good, day, good old days for good old days. Andrew. <laughs> well, um, I, I think, unless there's something anybody else wants to get to before we sign off. I think it's time for some final grades. Ooh. Um, Port card. Yeah. Connor, it's it's your show. Why don't you lead us off? Absolutely. So I was ready to throw a curveball. I'm the one who picked this movie. And I think before we started recording today, I was ready to come in and let you know that I was going to give this movie an A minus because I found myself liking it a lot less this last time I watched it, which for reference is my third time than I did the first time I saw this movie. Um, but now we've talked for a little while and <laughs> and I'm kind of back. I'm kind of <laughs> back. We've discussed it a lot. And I think you guys have opened my eyes to a lot of really new aspects to the movie that I hadn't seen before. And I think there's there's just a lot of depth. I love a movie you can watch three times and come away feeling three different ways. Um, And ultimately, one thing I've really come upon this third time is this idea that it's just a movie about how you push yourself and that there's it's not a story about two characters. It's about a story of one character. And it's it's you, you know, there you are, Andrew, and you are Terrence Fletcher. You are the one who pushes yourself and you're the one who wants to quit. Um, And it's sort of just has, has a lot to say to me about how every individual strives for success, whether it's in your career or a hobby or something you do that you create. I think it says a lot about the will for greatness and the will to keep pushing and keep getting better and how that's sort of an internal struggle between your internal Fletcher and your internal Andrew. So uh, shocking no one, I'm going to give this movie an A plus and say (laughs) that I will be watching it again sometime soon. Very good. Very good. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? Um, I am thinking that I need to revise my grading system to some degree, um, <laughs> because in in our in our first podcast, I was like uh, Godzilla versus Kong, solid B, um, and I feel like it it feels a little wrong to like give Whiplash an A and have it like be only one letter grade removed from Godzilla versus Kong, uh, but but that being said, um. We, we we have this podcast value and consistency. So I'm going to give this an A. Uh, I, I enjoy this movie very much. Um, it's, I, I wouldn't say that like Whiplash is one of my favorite movies of all time because like it doesn't necessarily fit in, like it, it doesn't necessarily fit into like the genre of movie that I gravitate towards as far as like rewatchability in favorite movies. But like, it is certainly like one of the, best movies that I feel I, I can probably say with certainty like this is probably one of the best movies that's come out in my lifetime I like it's it's really good 
watching it again, I, I picked up on so much more and like so much more of the nuance as far as the character interactions and character development goes and like Andrew and Fletcher and their dynamic. Um, and I enjoyed watching this movie again because I left with a greater appreciation of what it is. And I think that is one of one of the signs of like a good movie. So you can like watch it again and come out of it being like, I I kind of have this new understanding of it now that I didn't necessarily have before, and that enriches my enjoyment of the movie. So yeah, a a for Whiplash. Very good, Colin. Um, so the way I think about these grades, <laughs> uh, I need to give a preface here because I I realize that you might in, it might be reasonable to interpret these grades as my personal enjoyment of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really how I approach it. The way I approach it is, is that if this film is going to get an A+, it's because it's the best version of this story being told. Okay? So if I don't like the story, I might personally feel, such as in this case, that it's not A-worthy. But in this case, it's an A film. Because the story that's being told is being told in almost the perfect way. Um, it's one that gives me anxiety to watch, and therefore it's not one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, but it's told very smartly. It's told in a way that, um, you know, really gives depth to the characters. And for that reason, it's an A film. Um, all right. I I'm glad that um, the the letter grading system is rock solid enough. <laughs> both Colin and I have to give prefaces to it before we give it the before we give it the rating. But we're in episode four. This is when <laughs> this is when we really start to set rules for our world. This is when the rules start. <laughs> and this well. Uh, I think, well, we yeah, gotta I think... thank Connor. We gotta thank Connor first. Oh, I suppose. Connor, <laughs> I really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Seriously, it was fun. This was fun, guys. Thank you for for humoring me and my pretentious movie taste. This will <laughs> not course. be the last time you have opened no. Pandora's box. Oh, we have absolutely opened Pandora's box, and um, it was it was great having you bring this to us. And I'm looking forward to the next time you put one of your pretentious movies in our laps so that we don't just talk about the Snyder Cut all day. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Connor. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Colin. And let me just say that this is where we say goodbye.